Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And welcome back to the House of Pod. I am Kave, and my co-host Lizzie is not here with us today. She's at a Magic the Gathering convention. Um, but in her place, we have a special guest co-host. We have Dr. Sharyar Davari. Dr. Davari, how are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm uh, happy to be here. It's, uh, it's nice to have you. Our listeners may know you as Bobby Davari, Dr. Bobby Davari. Your real name is Sharyar. You were on an episode uh, of our show. You came and you talked to us about... Um, alcohol treatment. So how's that going? Have you treated alcoholism? Is it gone? We've, uh, we've stamped it out. It's done. Um, sadly, because of COVID, it's That's back actually, with a vengeance. We're, yeah. we're joking, but I've certainly seen alcohol-related disease go back up. Um, it's, alcohol. It's bad. Well, yeah, as a GI doctor, you see a ton of that, I'm sure. More Definitely, I've seen an uptick in alcoholic hepatitis. Um, but anyways, uh, you're here to help fill that hole that lizzie has left the, the lizzie hole right um and <laughs> there's no way you can because <laughs> her shoes are far too large to fill but um you and i have known each other for a long time man how long have we known each other it's been several several decades at this point which is crazy to think to think Wait, about that is that true decades. multiple decades yeah. not Mul- more than two we're multi-decade friends now Wow. Okay. So uh, we went to medical school together. Bobby and I went mm-hmm. to medical school together. And um, it doesn't take a lot to be considered like the funny guys in medical school or the cool guys in medical school. It doesn't, <laughs> it's a low bar. <laughs> Very low bar. True. But Bobby and I were, I think, at least we consider ourselves. I don't know if any of our friends from medical school actually listen to the show and they'll weigh in. But we certainly were the ones that were like um, 
responsible for hosting the uh remember there was like a talent show every year where people would come up and do funny skits and we hosted it what was it called uh i think it was called mirth control or mirth, mirth control Defense. yeah and so we would host this show where we would like do skits or we would have like uh, medical students would do skits that was pretty fun right it, it was it was yeah i think it was fun for the people in the class but i'm sure it would it would never never make it on on television nerds making jokes you know oh my so, god we thought we were hilarious we thought we were fun yeah and, and like, we got we were, you, you would get laughs from medical students but then like yeah. you know you're right any in any real setting it would have been crickets right. yeah absolute crickets. no i mean i i i was only funny to cover up being not so smart you you actually were just funny you know <laughs> like naturally i had to i had to i had to make make jokes just so people wouldn't I wouldn't be discovered, you know, as a fraud. Yeah, that's that I felt like, you know, med school. I think we all kind of felt that way. But, of course. Yeah, know, everyone I, has imposter syndrome in medical school. Man, it was, yeah, it was a, it was a tough, it was a tough, uh, I don't know. I thought it was tough. I had, a, I think med school was challenging, you know. I think it's challenging for everybody. But, oh, oh, did you, you know. think med school was hard? I think it was easy for you. You, you were always <laughs> having such a good time. I, I was actually studying. I was a crying on the inside clown. Um, speaking of crying on the inside, man, we are going to today. I'm glad you're here because it's a bit of a heavy topic. I'm glad to have someone help cover it. So the doctor we're going to have on, she's uh, Claire Resba, Dr. Claire Resba. She's an anesthesiologist in Richmond, Virginia. And what she's done is on Twitter, she's basically dedicated a whole page chronicling every death that's happened from a healthcare worker due to COVID. Every healthcare professional, every healthcare worker that's happened in the United States. And the numbers are high. They're staggeringly high, much higher than I thought from looking through her list. And what's really great about what she's doing is she's not only giving a voice to these people who have passed and bringing attention to them, you know, she's trying to show bits of their humanity like she'll try and like drop a quote about them that they said or something funny they did, something about them that's really interesting. She's, she tries to bring out the humanity in these people via these little anecdotes. So anyways, I, I'm glad you're here to do that because, man, it is, a, it is a rough time right now yeah, to be heavy. anyone. But, but being a doctor, mm -hmm. it's a rough time. Yeah, no, this is, uh, um, yeah, this is probably the most challenging time I've ever had in my career. I think it's uh, you know, just the, I think a lot of people, and you've addressed this before in the show, are trying to figure out what, what to believe and what, you know, what to, who to believe and how to behave, you know, whether to mask or not mask and what's dangerous and what's not dangerous. And, and you know, for, for them, it's really scary. And then, you know, I think for us doctors to be in the hospital, even knowing what we know, it's still scary. Um, because you realize this disease has only been around for such a short time. I mean, you know, we study diseases for decades and know just, we just know just the basics still. It's, there's still so much more to be known. And, and it's funny because people are so frustrated, right? And they're so scared because um, the, the data changes, right? They're like, well, the scientists said this. And then two weeks later, they're like, I don't know, that thing we said two weeks ago, it's not true anymore. You know, right, it's, it's right. something different now. 
and that really freaks people out. So yeah. it's a it's a crazy time. I think and try to keep up with all that is it is it's challenging. I uh, I text my friend. He's an ER physician, and he's working in a hospital in California that's been um, hit pretty hard. And mm-hmm. I'm gonna read you the the text exchange. Oh, I want to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to hear this. So it's a, it's I, I write him this text saying, "How you holding up, buddy?" And this is his response: fatigue stage, sick of going to work wrapped up in hazmat gear, watching a 37 year old being placed on high flow oxygen and proned. That means put on his belly for our listeners who don't know, because that helps with the breathing in COVID patients. With O2 sats in the 50s, that's much lower if you don't know than it should be. 27-year-olds with healthy, otherwise healthy, admitted for hypoxia, requiring oxygen, spending extra time showering at work after a shift, having no child care because our nanny won't wear a mask, having to see high school friends post stupid shit on Facebook, watching HBO Axios Trump interview, and it's like watching Spinal Tap, but it's our fucking president. Other than that, doing fine. How about you? Wow. My response was, did you see the game? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. That wasn't my response. But this is like the level of fatigue, man. This is like yeah. intense. What our what our our healthcare workers, yeah. what our frontline providers are doing, and he works in a good system, and he works, and he yeah. and I think he feels pretty supported. And yeah. man, it it is tiring. And and this is we're not even at the end of this thing. We're at the beginning. We're in the mid to yeah. beginning. Yeah, I mean, I I just was thinking the other day about. The vaccine, there's a lot of these reports that the vaccine could, you know, be available in Jan- early January, you know, early 2020, 2021. And then, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, I suppose, but there's, there are going to be those people that don't get it. They refuse to take it, you know, yeah. and we have to deal with that. So it's, even if there is a vaccine, we're still going to be dealing with this stuff for I mean, the foreseeable future. So that. Oh man! By you the know, time boy, this is a this is a real uplifting podcast we have going on. This I'm so oh, happy you had me on for this one. This is yeah. No, I needed you on for the super depressing you, ones. You needed the yeah. <laughs> you I can blame it on you. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's always depressing when Bobby comes on. Yeah, um, it it is it is depressing. But I mean, if we don't laugh about it, if we aren't able to laugh about it, then I yeah. I don't know. We're done. That's our best coping mechanism. I don't know what else we can do. Um, yeah, they bring it full circle. That's kind of how we survived medical school, you know, was to goof off a lot and joke around and try to make fun of each other and ourselves. And, you know, that's, that's really, I think is so important to, to take time out to, to, you know, to have a laugh and goof off a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, oh. it's tough. And at the same time, it's, the, you know, you could still honor, honor the seriousness of what's going on. I mean, that's obviously what we're doing here, but you gotta, there, there are some crazy, there's some crazy things out there, you know, like injecting bleach to don't do that by the way. But you know, these notions that you can shine light into the veins and that's going to cure COVID. I mean, these are, these are, these are funny things to say out loud that very (laughs) important people say. How can you not laugh? That's just crazy. Funny things to say out loud. They're funny yeah. things to think in your head, which is where they, they should have stayed. They are. But um, they didn't. <laughs> they they, they came out exactly. of a mouth of a person who has power. Yeah. And that's yeah. why we're all screwed. Anyways, yeah. um, okay. 
So everyone stay tuned. Uh, this is an important person to talk to. I really am uh, excited for you guys to hear this because I think uh, this Dr. Resba, she, her voice needs to be amplified. What she's doing is really important. And um, if you have any questions, make sure you let us know at hopquestions at gmail.com. Find us at Twitter. Follow us there at the House of Pod. If you haven't already, tell your friends about the show. It's all word of mouth at this point. We're not taking any corporate sponsorship money yet. Anyways, uh, stay tuned. We have a great show coming up. And welcome back to the House of Pod. We are here with Dr. Claire Resba. She's an anesthesiologist in Richmond, Virginia. And um, Dr. Resba, you've done something that is really interesting to me. You have started chronicling um, all the deaths you can find of healthcare workers in the United States. Um, just let me just start by asking, what prompted you to start doing this? Well, I initially started it as a way of managing my own anxieties about COVID when the pandemic first started. Um, you know, I was, I was worried like a lot of people were about how severe it was going to be at my hospital, how severe it was going to be for me personally. Was I going to get sick? Was I going to bring, bring it home to my family, bring it home to my husband, bring it home to my children. Um, and when I was a resident, um, I sort of had this coping, uh, technique for dealing with patient deaths where I would write down their names, kind of keep this running list of them. And at the end of the year, kind of do a little ritual for them and let go of all the emotional pain I felt about witnessing all that death. Um, so writing a list was something I was already familiar with to manage my feelings and anxieties. So I started keeping track of who I was seeing in America. And it worked for you as a resident that that helped you sort of in the, the coping process? It did actually. The, the first year of my residency was pretty hard for me. I started out on NICU and I had this little patient and I had him the whole rotation and he died mm -hmm. that last day. And it was just, you know, it was really, it was really difficult. It was a really difficult introduction to medicine. Yeah. Um, and then it just kind of snowballed. I went to the ER, I went to the burn unit, I had a couple ICU rotations. It was just, Death, 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 everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that did help me. I did, you know, I kept a list of them, kind of thought about their names, thought about who they were as people. And at the end of that year, um, I'm not particularly religious, but I was, you know, I was raised Catholic. So I went to the church and lit a candle for them and said a little prayer. And mm -hmm. after that, I just stopped ruminating on their names and their deaths. It, it worked. Wow. Yeah, was that was there? I was going to ask you what what was the ritual? Was it was that the ritual you go to the church and? Yeah, and... I, I had a, I had them in my my uh, case log. At the very last mm -hmm. page, I had a list of the names of of the people who hadn't survived. And at the end of the year, I took that page and took it, lit the candles, and I actually burnt the paper as well. Mm -hmm. um, said a prayer for them, and you know. Uh, that's that's great. I don't think we do. We probably don't do it. And not, we, a lot of us don't have the time or, yeah, I don't know if we're really taught that in medical school to sort of honor, honor those, those folks that have passed in that way in like a more personal way. I think that's a really neat thing you, you did um, back, 
back then and, and what you're doing now. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, I, it's totally true. We're not really taught to dwell on it. If anything, mm-hmm. there's sort of, you have to shake it off a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think the advice I got once in training after a particularly emotional um, uh, death from a patient was it was you have to sort of be like a cornerback in in football if you got burnt really bad on one play <laughs> you had to you had to just sort just of shake snap it shake it off or the next play you would get burnt again and it's funny because it's such a dehumanizing process you know the whole medical yeah. training that to some degree you just have to do that yeah but it was it was compartmentalized to an extent you know I, I, that yeah. helped me to move on from right. it, mm-hmm. it was, mm-hmm. for me it was very hard to watch people die no, it's, it's, it's harder for all. It's hard for everyone. I, don't, I think that we just don't all um, admit it and we don't all Im- yeah. talk about it and deal with it. So, so let me ask you, why is making this list of healthcare professionals or healthcare workers that have died, why is this important to you? Well, like I said, initially it just started out as a way to cope. It was just making another list. And then in, I think, April, the CDC came out with their first count of they released, oh, we've only have 27 dead healthcare workers. And I saw doctors on social media saying, oh, yay, we only have 27 dead healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. And by only, and by that point, I already had somewhere between 150 and 200 names. And that was really enraging for me to see how different the counts were. And I am one little person with Google and a cell phone I don't have death records. I don't have hospital access. Right. And I had what, what is that? Five times more than what they have. Yeah. And their, their numbers yeah. now are about 600. Where are your numbers? Um, somebody did a account for me recently and they have me up to about 950, but I have, I think another 50 that I haven't tweeted out yet. So I'm, I'm at about a thousand. So somewhere between 950 and a thousand. It's it's going to sound kind of odd, but what's your what are your search parameters? Do you go to, go to Google and just kind of search death? Yeah, so, yeah, so I start with pretty basic search terms, like really basic, like nurse dies COVID. Mm. Um, the active form of the word seems to get more hit, hits, like dies mm-hmm. instead of died, mm-hmm. um, or tech dies COVID. Um, and I'll get a, a fair amount of the the bigger media stories that way. Um, but it certainly doesn't cover everybody because most people are not covered at all. So then I look through um, obituaries as well on legacy. And if I find like a young CNA who died, like somebody who's say 42 or something, well, that's mm-hmm. not, you know, that's not normal. So I'll then look at, I'll take that name and it doesn't specify what they died from. I'll take that name and then go to social media and see if I can find their profile and a lot of these are, you know, a lot of these are public or there'll be a tribute from a coworker on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll find them that way and confirm how they passed away that way. I also go to GoFundMes and look for um, deaths from Go, in GoFundMe. Um, but because GoFundMes, you know, can be a little sketchy, I've cert- certainly found some, some ones that aren't real. Yeah. Um, I always make sure those are cross-referenced with an obituary or another, some other sort of um, confirmation. Boy, so that's a lot of searching pretty, in, in some really deep, deep and dark places on the yeah, internet. You know? There's some really sad, sad stuff. There's really sad stuff out there. 
Wow. And then I don't stop once I find, I mean, this is not maybe the best thing for my mental health. I don't stop when I find the, the one name. I want to read everything I can about them that's available publicly so I can write what I think is important about their life to kind of humanize them a little bit. Well, I know this is not a, um, you're not doing this as part of a study and you're not doing this in like as part of a research paper or anything like that. But just from what you're seeing, are you seeing certain trends? Are you seeing certain yeah. types of healthcare workers that are more exposed or at higher risk? Are you seeing yeah, um, certain mechanisms that seem to be uh, putting people at risk? There is a disproportionate number of um, workers in psychiatric settings, like hmm. uh, way more psychiatrists than you would expect. Um, a lot of inpatient psych um, nurses, ancillary staff. Um, I think that's because, you know, in the beginning, they didn't want those folks wearing masks because it might, you know, alarm the patients. And also it's probably pretty hard to keep those patients from keep, you know, have them socially distance as well. Um, so there are, there's a disproportionate number of people that work in psychiatric facilities and also like, um, home stabled adults long-term care homes, not just nursing homes, but specifically for disabled adults. Wow, that is surprising. I wouldn't have thought that, yeah. There's a, a really large amount of um, immigrant healthcare workers that are passing away, like a lot from all over, all over the world, um, or originated from all over the world. It certainly sounds like part of what you're doing is for your own processing, um, but it feels like there's more to it. Like and tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you're trying to give voice to these people who you feel like were sort of bypassed in, in, yeah, in absolutely. the CDC. Yeah, absolutely. At this point now, I feel like it's an obligation to find these folks. Um, I especially have this soft spot for, you know, like the housekeepers and the, the dietary services and the folks that are working in nursing homes that are not getting any recognition at all. And they are very mm -hmm. difficult to find. So if anybody listening knows anybody mm -hmm. that hasn't been honored, I'm happy to do it for them. Um, you're great. Those are the people who keep the hospitals and the nursing homes running. I mean, yeah, they're part of our world. They're, they're low paid. You know, these are people that are making 12, $15 an hour and mm -hmm. they're risking their lives. With the, you know, doctors and ICU nurses are, um, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of these people are delaying care. So I'll just say, from my my experience, they're um, they may have symptoms or um, or they have you know uh, diseases that they have been delaying care for because of COVID. You know, we we've, we've had our clinics limited now for face to face visits. Um, a lot of people don't have good internet connection or good phone service where they are, so they're they're now at higher risk for, for dying from COVID. So yeah, they're doubly at risk because of their health conditions. Do you find from what you've seen that, um, or you get a sense that it, it's mostly through work or are you getting a sense that's also just as equally from people in home situations? And I know it's hard for you to gather all this from what limited internet stuff you can find, but have you gotten any sense of it? Um. I mean, I think it's it's pretty hard to determine that, but I also think that the hospitals and some of these corporations are counting on that. Um, right. I think a lot more of them are hospital acquired than we want to admit. Even if it's not from direct patient care, you're exposed to your 
colleagues who are maybe exposed through direct patient care and don't realize it. Right. Um, I know when hospitals instituted mask policies that their employee infection rates went down, even though they had previously said they were all community spread. Um, there's, you know, the community is the hospital. The community is the nursing home. That's where you're getting mm -hmm. infected. Even if it's, you're infected on the bus going to your job, I don't really see how that matters. You weren't sheltering in place. You were going to your healthcare job. Right, right. When will you stop? I would love to stop. I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's a lot of work and it's sad work. And I would love to stop tomorrow or tonight, but they're still dying and there are a lot of people still dying. And I don't feel like I really can yet. Yes, yeah, kind of reminds me of the um, the the AIDS quilts. Do you guys remember that um, during the AIDS epidemic? Yeah. They were doing uh, <laughs> this. This is like a this is like a modern day sort of uh, internet version uh, uh, of of that to a degree. Um, I think I remember when that they were doing the AIDS quilt and they brought it out. It was kind of like just another way to recognize all the the loss and the the human toll and. Um, <laughs> You know, it's it's one of those things that uh, I think, especially for for the for the folks that think it's maybe not a big deal, and uh, you know, think that maybe we're we're overblowing it. Um, this is not as a a big crisis that they they see um, see what what's really going on and yeah. how many people are are dying. Absolutely, and the other thing with the healthcare workers, um, they skew a lot younger than what we've been talking about with COVID deaths. I mean, I've, I've heard people say, oh, yeah, it's just old people, it's old people, which I think is awful, an awful thing to say mm -hmm. in itself. But healthcare workers skew much younger. They're leaving babies without their mothers. Like, I, there's one nurse who left, like, a three-month-old, a dad mm -hmm. who left a five-month-old. I mean, these are little babies who are growing up without their parents. It's a... Uh a scary time for everyone but i mean being in a you're in a household with two physicians like mm -hmm. myself it's scary and you have kids and you have to be confronted with that possibility um which is not something i i ex expected coming into that you know into this field yeah. so it's a bit it's a bit shocking and you know um you can argue to some degree that frontline workers knew some of the risks but i don't think many many people really understood yeah that. you know yeah, my husband is a surgeon. He signed up to fix bones. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there's, there's a difference in what you sign up for and what you're, you know, is being put at your feet. And it doesn't really even matter. Um, we could get into a lot of different discussions of how we got here. We won't make this episode about that. But uh, I, I know there's a lot of doctors who not only feel that fear, but also a lot of anger a lot of frustration that we're at the place we're at when it feels like we probably didn't need to be here. You know, I, I think there's a lot of us who are at that place. And a month ago, there was this blessed lull. You know, there were days where I could not find anybody. Yeah. And now it's just right back to how it was. <sighs> yeah, I, I obsessively check our, our hospital database like every every day. I'm like looking at our our trend and our data for our whole region to see where things were going. And every time I see it go down, I feel good. And then a couple of days later, it goes right back up and I'm like, Oh, damn it. And so you, you kind of have it even more 
granular viewpoint. So it's it's a uh, it's really a sort of a interesting viewpoint you're getting just from an internet search. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Um, you know, we think it's really important. So that's why we wanted to to bring you on and talk to you about it. Um, it's it's a, it's important for all of us as doctors to realize the human toll this is taking both inside the hospital and out. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for the rest of the world to know that because, you know, we were talking about moral injury before this all happened in physicians. And I think the, the wave of coming, that mental health crisis of our frontline workers and our physicians is going to be immense. It's immense. And, and, and this is a lot of what we're going to have to deal with. And some of it's going to be survivor's guilt, you know, because of all this. So, Anyways, thank you so much for doing what you're doing. Thank you for your list. Hopefully, Bobby and I never end up on it. Um, but we appreciate the <laughs> fact that you are running it uh, nonetheless. So where can people find you and what, what can we do to help? So my feed is at ctzebra on Twitter. Um, I, think I'm, I think my direct messages are open. So if anybody has, uh, knows anybody that passed away in their hospital or facility, um, and they're comfortable sharing that name. I would love to have it so I can make sure that those people get the recognition they deserve. Um, yeah, that's, that's can you really say that? Can, can you say your, uh, your feed name again, your Twitter feed again? CT Zebra at CT Zebra. That's yeah. um, mm-hmm. I guess the name of it, the handle name is uh, US Healthcare of Workers Lost to COVID 19. Thank you so much. Laughs and giggles and. <laughs> this podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified healthcare provider for your specific healthcare needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.